Today, we're closing out on Leviticus. For those of you who don't know, every morning. Hey, Lynn, how are you? Good to see you, Lynn. Um, oh, wow, Sarah. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, praying for comfort for you in this season. Um, but one of the things that that uh, that I'm, you know, uh, provoked to do is to spend time in the reading of scripture. Uh, it's something that 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 I do regularly um, in my own discipline. And, you know, I've always had this question, you know, how do you maintain your life spiritually? And it's really through prayer and reading the word. It's it's that simple. It's just being dedicated to reading the word and prayer. And um, before I even before I even start with the reading, I just want to preface for those of you who are here for the first time, understand that this is one of my passions is to encourage believers, to encourage Christians to spend time in the reading of the word. Uh, one thing is to protect them from false teaching. Uh, that's one part of it. The other part of it is it, is that there's a powerful um, sanctifying work that God does in a person through simply the discipline of reading the word. It's just it's it's a powerful endeavor. It's an incredible activity um, for us to read the word. And and for those of you who who have who have committed to this over the past uh, six months that we've been doing this, who have committed to this. Uh, I'm sure you've seen something transform in you like this does something to you. It transforms you. Um, this is what reading the word is. It's a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual activity. And so um, I've I've allowed you an opportunity to eavesdrop into my daily discipline of reading the word. I try to spend at least 20, 30 minutes every day reading the word. Um, and so that's what I'm doing with you. And, and with 20 to 30 minutes a day, you can get through a lot of Bible. You can get through a lot of scripture in and out for an hour a day. You can read through the Bible close to two times. Uh, but for half a Netflix episode a day, we can get through the scriptures. And so that's why we're here. That's what we're doing. And for those of you who have started with us from the beginning, we read through the entire New Testament. And now we're reading through the entire Old Testament. Today, we get to finish Leviticus. Now, if you are here for the first time and you're wondering, OK, wait, hold on a second. I wish I could have caught up on all of these. Not a problem at all. You can catch them on the Read and Rant podcast, which I started, which came out of what we what we've been doing here in our lives. So it's the reading Read and Rant podcast where we read for 20 to 30 minutes. We rant for another 20 to 30 minutes. And it's what we're doing here. I'm just recording it and I'm putting it on on an audio podcast as well for your edification. And also, if you want to catch it right away, because those are maybe maybe a month behind from what we're doing here. So if you want to catch right away, whatever we were doing or whatever we read, or you missed the reading, you can catch it on our Facebook group, which is the font everywhere on Facebook. Uh, we got a group there as well. So I got about 110 of y'all I see here. So I got about 110 of you guys on my TikTok, but I got a good four or five people who are on my Facebook live group as well. It's a private group, but anyone can get in. So you can invite people in, you can join as well. And that group is growing as well, but it's really where um, you know, you can be community, right? Um, and so we're, we're looking to grow that and eventually launch it publicly. We just haven't done that yet. Um, and so, uh, you can find the podcast actually in the link in my, uh, bio on the, um, on the platform as well. So on my profile as well. So 
Uh, with that being said, I don't want to belabor the time. Today, what I want to do is I want to spend some time uh, to read uh, the scriptures. We're going to close out with Leviticus. And afterwards, uh, I want to spend just a closing reflection on this book. Uh, I want to, I want to, you know, just close out, uh, you know, what we've really garnered uh, from this book. And then uh, we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time in prayer. Um, so, all is going well, Pastor Scott. Baby's doing well. Wifey is doing great. I have a 3 a.m. shift. Uh, today was a little bit better. I didn't have to wake up until 4, so that's great. Um, but we're here. I'm glad I'm here. Every weekday, guys, we're back on our rhythm from 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to 9 a.m. So with that being said, let's get right into it. Um, turn your Bibles to Leviticus, and we're going to be in chapter 27. <clears throat> We're going to be in chapter 20, sorry, chapter 26. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 26 and I will read. And as I read, I want you to ask three questions. I'll be asking three questions and I want you to ask uh, these three questions as well. As you read the word, what is God revealing concerning himself? The second question is what is God revealing concerning people? The third question to ask is, what is God revealing concerning me? What is God revealing concerning me? This is how we open ourselves up to receive what the word has for us in this particular moment, in this particular time, on this particular day. And so um, that's what I'm going to be praying about as I'm reading. And I want you to be prayerfully reflecting on that while we read as well. Okay. Leviticus 26, Leviticus 26. Father, I ask that you would uh, Lord, speak to us today. Lord, I pray that we would be inspired by your word, encouraged by your word. Father, I pray that you would um, speak uh, to us, speak through us, um, convict us where we need conviction, correct us where we need correction, and encourage us where we need encouragement, Lord. Build us up where we need to be built, Father. We are submitting ourselves to you in this time as we engage in your word. Bless us, Father. Bless us in all that we do. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Leviticus 26. You shall not make idols for yourselves. Neither a carved image or a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commands and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you 
shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright, but if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I will also do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the power, the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. Then if you walk contrary to me and I will not, I will not willing to, sorry. Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock and make you few in number and your highways shall be desolate. And if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me. Then I also will walk contrary to you and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. Hmm. And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I have cut off your supply of bread, Ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chasten you seven times for your sins. My goodness. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols. And my soul shall abhor you. I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation. I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land of the land to desolation and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. 
I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall destroy its Sabbath as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbath when you dwelt in it. Hmm. And for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of the shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from the sword and they shall fall when no one pursues. They shall stumble over one another as it were before a sword when no one pursues and you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. You shall perish among the nations and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquities in your enemies' lands. Also in their father's iniquities, which are with them, they shall waste away. And if they confess their iniquities and the iniquities of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and that they also have walked contrary to me and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember the land. Hmm. The land shall be left empty by them and I will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments and because their soul abhors my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. I'm sorry, I'm sitting on that for a second. Verse 45, but for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. Chapter 27, last chapter. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when a man consecrates by a vow certain persons to the Lord, according to your valuation, if your valuation is of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If it is female, then your, evalu- then your valuation shall be 30 shekels. And if from five years old up to 20 years old, then your valuation for a male shall be 20 shekels and for a female, 10 shekels. And if for from a month old up to five years old, then your valuation, shall, uh, valuation for a male shall be five shekels of silver and for a female, your valuation shall be three shekels of silver. And if from 60 years old and above, if a male, if it is a male, then your valuation shall be 15 shekels and for a female, 10 shekels. 
But if he is too poor to pay your valuation, then he shall present himself before the priests. And the priest shall set a value for him according to the ability of him who vowed. And the priest shall value him. If it is an animal that men may bring as an offering to the Lord, all that anyone gives to the Lord shall be holy. He shall not substitute it or exchange it good for bad or bad for good. And if he at all exchanges animal for animal, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. If it is an unclean animal, which, which, sorry, so much to sit down there. If it is an unclean animal, which they do not offer as a sacrifice to the Lord, then he shall present the animal before the priest. And the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad, as you, the priest, value it, so it shall be. But if he wants at all to redeem it, then he must add one-fifth to your valuation. And when a man dedicates his house to be holy to the Lord, then the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad, as the priest values it, so it shall stand. And he who dedicates it wants to redeem this house. He must add one fifth of the money of your valuation to it, and it shall be his. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of the field, part of a field of his possession, then your valuation shall be according to the seed of it. A homer of barley seed shall be valued of 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, according to your valuation, it shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall reckon to him the money due according to the years that remain till the year of Jubilee. And it shall be deducted from your valuation. And if he who dedicates the field ever wishes to redeem it, then he must add one fifth of the money of your valuation to it. And it shall belong to him. But if he does not want to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be holy to the Lord as a devoted field. It shall be the possession of the priests. And if a man dedicates to the Lord a field which he has bought, which is not the field of his possession, then the priest shall reckon to him the worth of your valuation up to the year of Jubilee. And he shall give your valuation on that day as a holy offering to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him whom it was bought, to the one who owned the land as a possession. And all the valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary, 20 geras to the shekel. But the firstborn of the animals, which should be the Lord's firstborn, no man shall dedicate. Whether it is ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall redeem it according to your valuation. And you shall add one-fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, then it shall be sold according to your valuation. Nevertheless, no devoted offering that a man may devote to the Lord of all that he has both man and beast of the field or sorry or the field of his possession shall be sold or redeemed hmm. every devoted offering is most holy to the lord hmm. no person under the ban who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed but shall surely be put to death 
and all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wants to wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add a fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herb or the flock of the herd or the flock or whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. And if he exchanges it at all, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. Good morning, Ellison. Good morning, buddy. Um, he shall not inquire. <laughs> um, as you guys know, I posture myself to receive from God every time I read his word. Uh, this is not an intellectual exercise but more a spiritual endeavor to hear from God and to know, or at least to be able to be attuned to God's will concerning me, concerning my life, concerning us, concerning our community, concerning himself and his relationship to me and his relationship to the people. These are the things that concern me when I spend time in reading his word from a meditational perspective. I want to say first, before I even get into, uh, my thoughts for today. Congratulations, y'all. Congrats. For those of you who have been journeying, we've now read through Genesis. We've read through Exodus and we just finished reading through Leviticus family. Congrats to all of you. Congrats. Um, I'm really encouraged to know that there are people who are journeying through and actually just reading the Bible for themselves. Um, it has become such a powerful endeavor and such an important endeavor that um, I was convicted. I think it was maybe three, but no, more than that. I'm a little over a month ago now. I was going to say three weeks, but it's been over a month ago. It's hard for me to keep track of time now um, with everything that's going on. But um, it was a little over a month ago that I was convicted that this is important even for my sons um, to, to engage in. And so I'm glad to know that Ellison, um, who's my first son, um, hopefully Izzy is up as well. But I've got my two boys who are actually attending as well and who are participating in this because this is I want them to learn this discipline. I want Ellison and I want Izzy um, to learn this discipline. And pretty soon um, I want Theo to be uh, to discipline herself as well in the reading of the word because of how powerful that endeavor is, how powerful that endeavor is today. We're closing out Leviticus and we're going to be shifting into the book of numbers. And what I want to do is, is before I give my final thought and my closing thought, what I want to do is, is I want to, again, give you guys an understanding, a perspective um, a way to go about reading the scripture, particularly reading through Genesis, reading through Exodus, 
reading through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I want to start with those first five books. Those first five books, and I know this isn't a Bible study, okay, guys, but I just want to give a background, okay? Um, so I'm, it's not going to be an exhaustive Bible study at all, but I want to give a little background, and I want um, for you guys to hear this, and I want my boys to hear this as well. So, Ellison, I want you to hear this as well. Um, how uh, uh, to make sure that we have the appropriate posture in how we read the Bible. The common thing that people do when they read the Bible is they read it not as a story of God and his people and what God is accomplishing in the lives and in the narrative of his people. The, 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 we can call it the biblical narrative or we can call it the, uh, what's the other term? My brain's, my brain's not all there. The redemptive historical narrative. Um, we can, we can, we can call it that, but remember it is a narrative, meaning it's a story, meaning this is not about rules that we ought to follow. It's not about rituals that we ought to keep. I have to say that, um, as Christians, we don't open the Bible to go, what are the things I'm supposed to be doing? Okay. That's not how we read the Bible. We don't read the Bible that way. We read the Bible to get insight into who God is and into who God is and into, by consequence, who we are in relation to God and in relation to each other. Are you guys hearing me? So therefore, the Bible is not a book of rules that Christians ought to follow in order to be good Christians. Okay. That's not what the Bible is. All right. And so when we start reading the old Testament and we're reading the, the, the narrative of the old Testament, understand that the old Testament was not written to you. Okay. The old Testament is not written to you. Hey, Josh what's good. Uh, the old Testament was written to you the children of Israel. Okay. It was written to the children of Israel. Who was Israel? Israel was Jacob. His name was changed to Israel. Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham was the man who by faith, God had chosen him to be the father of many nations. Abraham was chosen to start a family who would do righteousness and seek justice on the earth. That is to execute God's agenda for humanity on earth. Abraham out of Abraham would come the nations out of Abraham would come the restoration of all people out of Abraham would come the restoration of people in relationship to each other and the restoration of people in relationship to God. So Abraham, and, and, and it's through covenant. Oh, notice that it's through covenant now because from his covenant with Sarah came Isaac. Isaac came Jacob and Esau. Jacob um, um, was given the, the, the blessing to perpetuate God's agenda. The bloodline would continue through Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jacob had a blended family of 12 sons. 
those 12 sons would become the 12 tribes. And these 12 tribes went to Egypt. They went to Egypt, and instead of staying in Egypt for a temporary period of time, they spent centuries in Egypt. Because they spent too long in Egypt, they became slaves in Egypt. They became bound in Egypt. Moses then, who now was uh, was chosen for out of the water, would come one who would deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses, who, who became uh, uh, Egyptian royalty, would finally realize who he was and that he was a Hebrew boy. And, and and so and not not to I don't want to go through the whole story, but Moses would eventually, from leaving Egypt, would return back to Egypt, and would uh, liberate uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt because now they're not just a family of you know thirty, forty, fifty; they're a family of thousands. They're a family of hundreds of thousands. They're f- so so now they've become a nation of people this nation of people now are on their way, have now transitioned out of Egypt to return back to Israel. Okay. And so, and so on their way there, they have to navigate through the wilderness and navigating through the wilderness. They make a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. They make this covenant with God at Mount Sinai. And in this covenant, God is reinstituting a nation or these people. The promise that he made to Abraham now is being reinstituted to these people. This covenant and this promise was that they would be the chosen people of God who would execute the righteousness and the justice of God to be the people, to be a nation of priests. And notice what priests are. Priests are mediators Okay, between God and man. Priests are to be representatives of God, to show what God is like to the earth and how God wants to execute his justice on the earth. This is really important, family, because the this nation was called not to be in in, in a political power. They weren't called to be an economic power. They weren't called to be a military power. These people were called to be a nation of priests living in submission to God and in submission to man to bring the righteousness of God and the justice of God on the earth. And so now the covenant, okay, the covenant was the law that God had imparted on those people. Notice this is not for us, okay? This is not for us, it was for them, giving these people, the law was was instituted for them to set them apart from everyone else. This law that they would adhere to was a law that would separate them from everyone else, making them distinct from everyone else to show the world what the kingdom of God looked like. It was to separate them. That's why when God says to them, be holy for I am holy, the law that he was instituting to them and instigating to them was a law that had the intention of setting them apart. All right. Notice God has a plan for all humanity, but he's calling a people. Okay. He's calling a people the children of Israel, to execute the justice of God, to execute 
the righteousness of God. In the scripture, there is no distinction between justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness are the same thing. Okay. So when, when people say, well, you know, I'm not about social justice. I'm just about Jesus. You can't be about Jesus and not be about justice. Okay. You can't be about Jesus and not be about what is right in accordance to the character of God. Okay. You don't separate the two. They both coincide with each other and the righteousness and the justice of God is the, the rubric for the righteousness and the justice of God is the very character of God. God is just. God is righteous, so therefore God is justice, so it embodies his character, okay? So you don't get to choose what righteousness and justice is, okay? God has already chosen what righteousness and justice is, okay? And so, and so, and so with that being said, um, I don't want to go too far into that. I want to make sure I'm giving everyone a context here. The children of Israel made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai to reaffirm that they would be the people who would be the nation of priests to mediate for God and for man on the earth. That was what it meant to be the chosen people. Let me take a pause. And again, you can go to Genesis chapter 11 and see how God begins to institute this through Abraham and how it continues to perpetuate through Genesis and through Exodus. We've been reading through all of this, so I don't need to belabor all of that. But this is important, family, because there are people who are um, spewing um, false information, false doctrine, false beliefs, the false information that people are um, that I see that's happening, particularly speaking in the black community, is the Hebrew Israelite uh, ideology, the Hebrew Israelite way of thinking. Even um, I see this also in the nation of Islam thinking. I see it with the five percenters. I see it with all. T- I see all kinds of stuff out there with people who are saying we are the chosen people of God. Now, let me help you understand this. First of all, we have to go through the whole Bible to understand what that even means um, and, and who who the chosen people of God are. It's interesting to me because those particular people are, they go through genealogies to determine what it meant to be chosen. And so they say we're the chosen people of God because we are black. We are the chosen people of God because the chosen people of God, the Hebrew Israelites, came from Africa. And so they use genealogies to 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 affirm that they're the chosen people of God. Now, um, that isn't actually correct, and it isn't biblical. Okay, that isn't correct. That isn't biblical. However, even if that were true, let's say that was true, and I want to make sure I emphasize. I just feel led to speak into this. If that were true and they were the chosen people of God, what were they chosen to do? If the he, the Hebrews were the chosen people of God, the children of Abraham were the chosen, we're seeing this narrative through. But if they were the chosen people of God, which they are, what were they chosen to do? You see, here's where we find all this um this teaching and this doctrine, which really oppresses black people more than it helps black people. Okay. Um, which is more oppressive when they use, they they spew all this information that you're the chosen people of God, you're chosen, you're chosen, you're chosen, but they never tell you what the dimensions of being chosen are. 
because they don't know the full story and the grand narrative of the scripture because they just choose and pick pieces of the Bible that they want to choose. When you pick, when you choose and pick different pieces of the Bible, you can frame your own story, your own thinking, your own ideology. And the end, what's happening is, is the ones at the top, particularly in the BHI, particularly in, in the Black Hebrew Israelite community, they're, they're they're teaching, oh, that you are the chosen people of God, and yet they're oppressing with limited information. They're oppressing because now what you have is you have a community of people who sit there passively saying that it's because of other people. It's because of our disobedience to the law and because we're not being who we who we are called to be that we're under the oppression that we're under. No, that is not why we're under the oppression that we're under. It's for other reasons. And and, and so anyway, and, and so because we stay there, we never have a solution to the problem. All we have now is frustration and anger. Um, um what I find is when I've had, and I have, I have fruitful conversations with Hebrew Israelites, but for many of them, when I speak to them, what they're really looking for is to understand why, why black people have suffered so much injustice in this world. Why, why have we suffered, and what the solution is to that? How do we overcome the injustice of the world? Because it is wrong. It is not right. And yet now we're spewing, spewing false information. When you're given false information for how you attain your deliverance, you never actually get delivered. You just stay angry. Okay. And so what happens is there's a frustration there because there's no real solution to it except to be angry and to pull people down, to call people down. So let me make sure I, I, I help you understand this. When they say that you are the chosen people of God, what you must understand is that the Hebrews were chosen to serve. They weren't chosen to have power. They weren't chosen for economics. They weren't chosen for money. They weren't chosen for influence. They weren't chosen for any of this. They were actually chosen to be a nation of priests. Go back, read through Exodus, read the encounters when, when God made a covenant with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. The covenant he made at Mount Sinai was that they would obey his laws in order to be a nation holy and separate to be the representatives of God. This is the bloodline. This is what the bloodline. This is this is what was passed down from generation to generation among the Israelites. The covenant that they were broke that they were given was a covenant to set them apart to bring the the, the kingdom of God to earth. They were the chosen people of God. Great. Chosen to do what? To serve. They were the chosen people of God, chosen to do what? To suffer. They were the chosen people of God, chosen to do what? To show and to reveal to the world what God is like. And anyone who says otherwise is spewing, is spewing false information because nowhere in the scripture does it speak of that. Okay. The scriptures is very direct and very specific about that. And then, of course, again, we can get we can go to the end of, of, of the scripture. We can we don't have time to really unpack all of that. But if we if we go back and we unpack all of it, when we read through Hebrews, when we read through Revelation, what we begin to realize is that this we read through Romans. What we begin to realize is now is now what the Hebrews could not be. Let me you know, let me finish the story. Let me finish. Let me finish the narrative here. And then I'll go to, to the point because I'm going to stick here for a moment. But if we read the grand story that the redemption of all humanity 
the restoration of all people would be through the chosen people of God, through the Hebrews, through the Hebrew Israelites. And yet they're given a covenant to execute that justice. They're given a covenant to execute that righteousness. And yet notice as we're closing out here in Leviticus 27, we're beginning to see the consequences of not executing the righteousness. These are the things that would fall upon these people if they didn't, because they made the contract with God to be the chosen people who would execute the righteousness and justice of God to be the kingdom of God on earth, to be the representatives of God. And yet what we read from 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 the Mosaic Law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, from 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 the historical books through First Kings, Chronicles, through all the what we're going to read throughout the story is that these chosen people, because that's what the Bible follows. The Bible follows the narrative of the Hebrews because they are the backbone of humanity. The Hebrew people, by God's choice, is the backbone of human destiny. And so that's why you see, that's why, that's why there aren't any of you who say, well, there are no white people in the Bible. Of course there aren't, because this is about the Hebrews. This is about the Hebrews, the narrative of the Hebrews through the scriptures as to how all mankind would be reconciled to God. Now, here's what we see in the story. We see that they're given the law and after they receive the law, they continue to fail. They continue to fail. And what was that? Cycles of bondage, cycles of slavery that continue to perpetuate because, yes, exactly. I was going to say that, Eugene, but I'll was, I was, go back to that. Okay. So, so, so we see through the story cycles of bondage because of their disobedience to God's law. So what we're beginning to see through the Old Testament is that the law was ineffective in bringing righteousness through these people because they failed the law. They continued to fail. They continued to fail over and over again. They went through cycles of failure and then God would deliver them. And then they go through cycles of, they go through failure again and God would deliver up and down, up and down, up and down. The Hebrews could not be what God called them to be. At the end of the day, what the grand biblical narrative is, is that the Hebrews could not be what God called them to be. The Old Testament ends with 400 years of silence. God was not speaking through these people. Why? Because the Hebrews could not obey the law. The law was a, the law was enough, but they were not enough for the law. The Hebrew people were not enough, but God's promises are yes and amen. God's promises never returned to him void. God promised that it would be through the Hebrew people that the restoration of all people would come. God promised that he would reinstitute his justice on earth through the Hebrews. And so because the Hebrew people could not, God became the Hebrew that the Hebrews could not. That is who Yahashua was. Jesus, Yahashua, Yeshua, however way you want to pronounce his name, became the Hebrew that the Hebrews could not. He became the Hebrew. 
He became the perfect Hebrew. He was the perfection of the Mosaic law. He was the perfection of mankind. He was the Hebrew that the Hebrews could not be. So God's law continued on through Jesus, through Yahashua. He became the Hebrew and he showed what the kingdom of God looked like. Jesus was not trying to take over governments. Jesus was not trying to make an empire. Jesus was not trying to overthrow anyone. Jesus was not trying to acquire uh, wealth and finance. Jesus was not about any of that. Jesus was about serving and submitting his life and giving his life so that all humanity would be restored. Jesus was the embodiment of the kingdom of God. Jesus was the Hebrew that the Hebrews could not be. So if you want to know how the Hebrews ought to have been, look at Jesus. Look at Yahashua. Look at him. He became the Hebrew that we could not be. And he fulfilled the destiny of the Hebrews by a sacrifice on the cross. When you read through the book of Hebrews, you're going to understand now that the old covenant was made complete in Christ. He is the completion of the covenant. What does that mean? When, when he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. Jesus saying, I'm going to complete what y'all fools couldn't do. I'm going to complete what the Hebrew people could not do. I'm going to finish it. When he was on the cross and he said, it is finished. He was completing the law. He was fulfilling the law. He can't abolish it because it's the very, oh my God, it's the very law itself, family. It's the very law itself that liberates mankind. How do we know that? Because Leviticus is the law. And in this law, he's revealing in Leviticus how the people of God who are unholy and unrighteous can enter into the presence of a holy God. He says it's the blood sacrifice. Leviticus is all about how an unholy and unrighteous people get to go into a into the presence of a holy and a righteous God. That it would be the sacrifice of an offering that there needed to be a priest who mediated and a sacrifice that would mediate for it. And through the sacrifice, unholy and unrighteous people cannot enter into the presence of a holy and righteous God. The law in the law, God put the plan to get people out. That is the completion of the law. So when he says, I did not come to abolish the law, you're saying I came to fulfill it. I'm going to live the life that the Hebrews could not live. And I am going to die the death that the Hebrews could not die so that all mankind can be brought to faith in Jesus Christ so that all mankind can be brought back into relationship with God. God don't care about money, finances, political influence, power. That's not what God is all about. And yet these are the things that are being shot at and being spewed. These are the things that are being propagated. And so what does it do? It creates an angry people who only seek to, to kill, to destroy, to end, to, to, to pull apart, not to build up, not to sacrifice, but to destroy. And yet what did Christ do? Christ came 
and destroyed his body so that all mankind can be in relationship with God. We see this. We see this narrative all through the the the, the Bible. We see it. We, we, we see it fulfilled and, and completed in the book of Hebrews. And we see it fulfilled in Revelation when when we see the 144,000, which was the census of the children of Israel, this army of God, even John, as he's writing, and said, I heard the 44, the 144,000, and I knew there was an army that God was calling. And yet this army of God, who he thought would be an army of Israelites, when he opened his eyes, the scriptures tell us in the next verse that he saw a multiplicity of nations, of races, of ethnicities, of people, and at the front was the slain lamb, the warrior, the general of the army of God was a slain lamb, and behind that slain lamb was a nation of many people a multiplicity of nations. The scriptures did not say, for God so loved black people. The scripture says, for God so loved the world. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why did I just walk you through the, I just walked you through the whole Bible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I, if I ranted, I was ranting there, but I, I, I'm walking through the whole scripture because here's the reality. The reality is, is that anyone who tries to propagate a race over another person is spitting lies. It's false. They are lies. They are lies from the pit of hell. The unfortunate reality, and I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to sit here. The unfortunate reality is, is that today we have a people who are responding to the sin of our country. I know some of you are not from the U.S. There are people from all over the world who are watching right now. But here's the reality is that there was a, uh, uh, we, we've seen the consequences in a very visceral and painful way in our nation what racism did in our nation, we're still feeling the effects of that today. And the unfortunate reality is, is that the Christian church was complicit in propagating the slavery of black people. The, the, the Christian church, the white Christian church was complicit in propagating the oppression of a people group. We have to own that. And, and, and I think that's the, that, that I, I think what's unfortunate, what's unfortunate is that as a, as a people, we have not, we have not really just faced that. We're, we're trying to walk away from it like it never happened. That don't work. There's no restoration without repentance. There's no restoration without reconciliation. And there's no restoration without restitution. All these things are part, that's part of the gospel. So the unfortunate reality is what we have now is, is there's a gap and there's a void. No, my Jesus is not white. There's a gap and there's a void. 
that we have just wanted to walk away from the effects of racism and slavery in the United States and its effects even today and the systemic powers at bay in, in place even now in our nation and in our country. And so we want to just walk away and act like it didn't happen, but there's no healing from that and there's no restoration from that. And so because of that gap, because we just want to move on in that gap and in that whole ideologies like Hebrew Israelites find places in. They find a place because the church has not confessed it. I have, I have seen very few. I've, I've spoken to some white pastors. I have white pastor friends. I have black pastors. I have all types. I've, I mean, I've, I have pastor friends throughout the whole spectrum of cultures and societies and races and all that. And I've had conversations with a few of our pastors, even in our region, and some now are, are actually addressing it now. And are speaking into it to say, we need to, as a, as the white church, we need to own our sin. You say, well, no, it was the, it was them. It was the church before, but not us now. It's funny. I'm sorry. I'm ranting now, but, but it's funny. It's funny how we, we like to receive the benefits of the generations before us. But we don't want to account for the sins of the generations before us. Isn't that funny? Like we can we can get inheritances from our parents or we 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 like to inherit their values and we like to inherit the money and the wealth, whatever it is from the generation before us. But the moment we talk about the sins of the generation before us, we back away. And we just say, you know, that that's not me. Why are you coming after me for the things that the generation before me did? Well, then if you don't want to own the sins of the generation before you, then <laughs> you might as well forego the blessings of the generation before you. You either take all of it or none of it. But if you're going to take the blessing of the generation before you, because no one's taking that away. No one wants to take that away. I don't want to take that away. But if you're going to take the blessing of the generation before you, then you're going to need to also account for the sins of the generation before you. And these are the conversations that I've been having with more pastors in the white church is the reality is, is it's, we never did. The white church just kind of moved on and said, okay, well, um, um, you know, we're just going to speak up against racism when something happens. No, there's 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 a there's an, a, a profound systemic issue that needs to be dealt with. But first, in order for it to be dealt with, the white church must mourn, and the black church must mourn along with them. We must all mourn together of the incredible dark history of our country but we haven't and because we haven't we want to just move on we leave gaps and it's those gaps that are leading ideologies like hebrew israelites in and now they're trying to use bible to propagate a, a new racist agenda you cannot defeat evil with evil.
cannot defeat racism with racism. Restoration is not the pulling down of one people to elevate yourself. Restoration is for those who are elevated to pull those who aren't up. And for those who are beneath to undergird what God is doing. This is this is the the the, the unfortunate reality now is that we're still using unbiblical doctrines to seek after the restoration of mankind. So we have social justice movements that aren't really social justice movements. They're me justice movements. We don't have social justice movements that actually embody the character of God. We have social justice movements that look to carve out our own form of power. And yet we don't see how Jesus executes his justice. The Israelites were perpetually an oppressed people. Why? Because they disobeyed the law. And this is what we're seeing. This is how it's ending. He's saying these are the consequences of people. Now that I've called you aside. Remember, this isn't for us. Okay, this isn't for us. This this book, sorry, this book wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. My apologies. It wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. We we're, we're closing out Leviticus really in attention here. We're, we're in attention because we see the blessings of what it looks like for the children of Israel to obey his covenant. We saw how God, you know, the one thing I love about how Leviticus ends is if you listen to the tone and the timbre of Leviticus, Leviticus opened up with Moses not being able to enter into the presence of God, into the tent. And Leviticus ends with Moses back in the presence of God. God, through this law that he's instituted, has given them access back into his presence. And what I like about the end of Leviticus is that he, he, there's a tonality to it that you, you sense a liberating tone. God is now in relationship with his people again. God is now, um, now he's speaking to them. You shall not make carve uh, idols for yourselves. We see reconciliation here. Uh, a people who broke the covenant of God in, at the end of Exodus, who were not in the presence of God at the end of Exodus, beginning in Leviticus, and now are back into the presence of God. And we see now God is just reaffirming to them that it is through this blood sacrifice that I'm giving you now access back into my presence. It's the blood that gives us access back into the presence of God. It's the blood. It's the sacrifice. It's the priest instituting the sacrifice that gives us access back into the presence of God. And now as he ends it, he tells them, continue to fulfill these ordinances. Continue to obey these commands. 
And then he says in verse 11, 26 verse 11, he says, I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. Verse 12, he says, I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. God is back with them. And he gives them all these statutes. He says, if you obey these statutes, you will continually be my people. But if you don't, Leviticus 27 tells us what happens and what we're going to be reading all throughout the Old Testament is what happened to a people who were in covenant with God. Why didn't the Romans suffer as the children suffered? Why, why, why didn't the Romans suffer? Why didn't the Greeks suffer? They got to live however way they wanted to live. Why did they experience all this wealth? Why, well, why didn't they suffer? As I was reading it, that's what I was praying about. And what God was reminding me of is there's a standard that he has for the people that he chooses. And because he chose them and he gave them the covenant. This is how they ought to live. But let me remind you, what they have is not as good as what we have. We have something better than the Hebrews. <laughs> That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. The book of Hebrews is telling us that we have something better than the Hebrews. We don't have to make blood sacrifices. We don't have, we're not under the law because Christ has fulfilled the law. Now we're in Christ. <laughs> so guys, be encouraged. Be encouraged because God is in the business of restoring all mankind to himself. And yet, if you choose to be under the law, if you choose to be under the law, you're choosing a lesser covenant. <laughs> the covenant of grace is much greater and much better. <laughs> I love you, family. I'm leaving today knowing that God in his law gave a way out. God in his law gave us a way to deal with sin. Leviticus is all about. If you, if anybody were to ever ask you, what is Leviticus about? I think the way you would answer that, the best way for you to answer Leviticus, Leviticus is about how God dealt with sin so that we can be back in the presence of God. God bless you guys. God bless you all. Um, and, and for those, for those of you who are, um, you know, you have experienced, and I, I want to speak into this. You've experienced the pain of racism. <laughs> I've experienced the pain of racism. 
that I've I've been <laughs> if I give you my own stories, I I can't say I, I I know everyone's story and I've gone through what everyone's gone through. But I've had a multiplicity of instances where for no reason I was handcuffed and put in the back of a police car. I've had a multiplicity of instances where I walked into the mall to go buy something as a young as a young man and and then I was being accused of of, of stealing and being profiled. I, I I know what that looks like. I remember spending hours in the back of a police car. And after I spent those hours in the back of a police car, I remember asking, just I was just terrified. And I remember asking I remember asking the police officer, sir, why was I, why was I, like, what did I do? And his answer to me was, you fit a profile. That was his, that was his, that was his answer, that you fit a profile. I don't know if I've shared this before, but when I got my PhD, I have a PhD in economics. And uh, the night before my dissertation, the night before I defended my dissertation, it was a late night. I was still prepping. I was tired. Um, I was at the, I was at, I was at UM and I, um, I had a friend of mine who was with me as well. And, uh, we were both black and it was around two in the morning. I was tired, but I had to eat to keep myself going. So I told myself, you know what, let's go to Let's go to Denny's. There's a Denny's right across the street at the University of Miami. If anybody's down in Miami, you would know what I'm talking about. And uh, and so so uh, I got in my car and we pull out of UM. And as we're about to pull into Denny's, I get pulled over by a police officer. Spent two hours on the sidewalk, handcuffed on the floor. And I remember sitting there going... I have a dissertation to defend in four hours. Defending my doctoral dissertation, and yet here I am on the side of a road, <laughs> worried. My Honestly, the only thing that was going through my mind when that happened in that moment was, please, God, do not let me. I don't want to go to jail. Not today. If this can happen tomorrow, I'll deal with that. But I have a dissertation to defend, please. And I need a little bit of sleep. I cannot go to jail today. <laughs> and I remember speaking to people, even about some of the stuff that's been going on. And I remember talking to some of my white brothers about this. And I remember telling them that the reason why this hurts so much for me, even seeing some of the things that have transpired in the last in the last year or two, the reason why it hurts so much for me is because... I've never actually dealt emotionally with some of the things that happened throughout my earlier years. I have every reason to be angry. I have every reason to be pissed. I have every reason to. And yet here I am. No, it wasn't Marco Ellison. It was uh, it was actually Stan, who was with me. Um, 
I say that to you because while I've experienced the pain of racism, while I've experienced it, the one thing I will not do is fall into darkness because of darkness. If there's anything that I'm seeking, even in the midst of darkness, is light. I've had seasons where I I didn't want. I, listen, I've I've had those seasons. I've had those times in my life, and you know what I realized? <laughs> when you know the gospel, and you know how the story ends, you understand the calling and the conviction that God has given you. This is bigger than me. This is bigger than me. And I will tell you now that some of the most encouraging and fruitful conversations that I've had have been in me choosing to be angry and uncomfortable with my white brothers and sisters. I've, I'm having the difficult conversations and I still have them till this day. I call people out on their implicit racism. I call, I have brothers in Christ. I have pastors, brothers, leaders. I have um, influential people that you may, that many of you may know who I've called them out on a lot of things that they do and they say, but they've given me access into their lives to rebuke and correct them. You want to know why? Because they know I actually love them. I've chosen to govern as Christ would govern. Christ sacrificed himself. So I will enter into the difficult spaces and I will be an agent of reconciliation. The reason why I can have the hard arguments with my white brothers and my white sisters is because they know I love them. They are my brothers. They are my sisters. Um, I have some of my best friends are Caucasians. Some of my best friends are Caucasians. And you know what I do when I experience those difficult moments and the difficult things that are happening in my country? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't alienate them. You know what I do? I say, yo, we need to have lunch. I need to cuss you out for a second. <laughs> we need to have lunch. I need you to know what I'm feeling right now. And we've disagreed. You know what? We will disagree. We will argue. We will fight. But you know what I'll do? We'll text each other tomorrow. <laughs> we'll talk tomorrow. Hey, man, listen, man, you better hit me up tomorrow. Yeah, I'm gonna hit you up tomorrow. But you piss me off right now. I'm like, yeah, you piss me off, too. You know what? That's what it means to be family. We wrestle with each other. We rumble with each other. We engage with each other. Why? Because Christ's ministry was a ministry of reconciliation. He wants to bring us all, to make us all one in him. If all my friends are black, I can't be an agent of reconciliation. Because Jesus didn't come just for black people. And if all my friends are white, there's a problem with that as well. Because Jesus didn't come just for white people. Jesus came for all people all nations and all ethnicities. (sighs) 
Jesus was the Hebrew that the Hebrews could not be. And it's through him that we have now become the seed of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. God bless you guys. I love you all. I know I got, I got, listen, I got everybody on, on here. I've got my Caucasian brothers and sisters on here. I've got my Asian brothers and sisters on here. I hate even de- defining it that way because then I miss somebody somewhere in the mix. I've got my uh, Latinos, my Europeans. I've got my Australians. I've got my a- South Asians, my West Asians, my um I don't have anybody from Antarctica. And if you are from Antarctica, I don't know what to say about that. Um, but I, I, I love you all. I love you all. And you guys are all family. And I love you so much that I'm going to keep speaking truth. I, I'm going to keep speaking truth. But I know what God's plan is. He wants to reconcile all men unto himself. I love you guys Father I thank you for This time that you've given us Lord That you've allowed us to engage With you Father I just pray right now Lord there are those of us Even in this moment in this time Who are Lord suffering even from The trauma Of racism I don't know why I'm being led here But this is where you've led me in your word And I just I just ask Lord, that you would attend to our hearts, Father. Teach us your ways that we may know you, Father. I pray that you would be Lord over our hearts and our minds, Lord. Teach us your plan, what you desire for us, Father. I ask, Lord, that you would meet each individual here where you are. And I pray, Lord, that you would provide clarity, Lord, provide peace, provide comfort. Lord, provide conviction, Lord, that your sons and your daughters, all of whom are your people, your children, Lord, that they may walk in your calling and find a joy renewed and a joy restored, that every aspect of their life, every dimension of their life would be restored. Lord, I pray for our nation, even in this moment, Lord, that's in a season, Lord, of tumult, in a season of division and divisiveness, Father. Lord, I'm encouraged even in this moment, Lord, that Lord, there are some things that are unraveling right now. Father, we're finally beginning to confront the sins of our nation and the sins of our past. And Lord, what opportunities we have to finally experience healing, renewal and restoration, Lord, that that those who have been oppressed, Lord, may be liberated. Mm. That all would be brought to one in you, that we would all fulfill the calling of God together as one. Lord, not giving preference over one over another, but Lord, to know Lord, that we have all called to be one in you. And we say that in your name, we pray. Amen and amen.